Hello, and welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. Well, happy Easter, everybody. We're recording this yes. on Easter Sunday. Happy Easter, guys. Had oh. the egg hunt with the kiddos and hung out with some friends and had a few booskies. Nice. That's a good Easter right there. That's that's yeah. all you, that's what you should hope for on Easter. A nice, relaxed Easter. You know, it's I an like underrated holiday. In the yard. It's Just underrated. because of the time of year. It's underrated because it's like right as spring hits, and it always seems like it's a beautiful day on Easter, and it's kind of like, it's, it's exciting. Like, all right, warm weather coming, and That's nice true. weather, and yeah, if trees are budding, and birds are chirping. And yeah, they did that shit on purpose. They wouldn't have put Easter in, like, November. People would be like, ah, fuck Easter. I'm, <laughs> I'm not even thankful for Easter. <laughs> right. Yeah, they wouldn't appreciate uh, they wouldn't appreciate Easter if it wasn't for the springtime. That's for sure. It, it, yeah. Like I said, there's a reason it's there. You got to spread those yeah. holidays out, man. You know, mm-hmm. commercialism. That's right. Well, this week we've got a case that has been a long time coming. It's my favorite true crime documentary. We were asked the question on Patreon on our Just a Banter uh, podcast right? Uh, by one of the listeners, what was our favorite true crime podcast? And the one that sticks out to me is Dear Zachary. Dear Zachary. Um, this, this documentary is the most memorable watching experience that I've had. Uh, the most emotional. This is going to be the most uh, heart-wrenching true crime guys episode probably you've ever heard. Yeah, I mean, if we can do it half as well as the documentary, then I would think so, because yeah. that is without a doubt the most heart-wrenching thing I've ever watched. Yeah, Dude, like, no I was tired Part of this, crying. doing this episode was just forcing Michael to watch it, finally. Yeah, well. <laughs> That's what it was about. Achieved, and I'm glad yeah. I did. I, I should have listened to you from the beginning. I really should have. But uh, it was I've been saying this for doubt. years. You know, you just, you just have to keep finding out the hard way. <laughs> that's just how i am bro i'm hard-headed sometimes it comes right. in handy sometimes it don't uh but my wife i was talking to her about it today and she looked she before we even started talking about it she's like listen she's like did you cry pretty much the entire time i was like yeah <laughs> she's like okay i thought so she's like me too she's like i thought i was just being like overly emotional for some reason oh so you guys didn't watch it together or did no you? we did but we were so oh, you're just like in turning the- away <laughs> No, Turn we're just like watching the thing, you know? We're yeah, just yeah, watching yeah. the TV. Uh, we just yeah. got engrossed in it. It's that type of documentary. And plus, when I'm watching a documentary for the podcast, hey, man, I'm focused, right? It's work right. time. We can Netflix and chill later, girl. It's work time. Right, right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Put on some Tiger King and get freaky later, but That's right, right now it's study time. That's right. Got to get your priorities in line. <laughs> That's right. All right, so let's dive into this thing, man. Prepare to, you know, to... Uh, I don't know. Be sad, I guess. Yeah. It's a yeah. good one, though. Yeah, you'll definitely be sad some. All right. We'll see you on the other side, guys. When you get horrifying, dramatic, you know, life-altering news, so, um, normally you feel one thing at a time. You feel happy, you're sad, hungry, cold, you know, hot, whatever. But you suddenly are feeling every emotion at maximum volume. It's like taking a television and turning up all the knobs to maximum, and you just have this wall of color. And... You don't know, you're feeling everything at once and you don't know what you're feeling anymore because you've never experienced that before. And so that's that's kind of what I, I mean, you know, a movie's a movie, but I tried the best that I could to communicate what that felt like, you know, or just what it felt like to be there, what it felt like, just in the way I put it together. It was my best, my best attempt to, you know, put you in our shoes. I cannot emphasize this enough. This movie frightened and disturbed me more than any horror film I've ever seen in my life. And... Yeah, it's interesting because it's not uh, intended as such, but 
the events of what happened on a day-to-day -day basis were completely horrifying. Uh, just one more question. I don't want sure. this to sound weird or like spiritual or whatever. I'm just wondering, have you felt like Andrew's spirit around this, like at any instance, like that you can feel that he's okay with? I don't. Um, either he's okay. Uh, like, okay. like he's okay with this, and like, like I mean, with what you're doing, and like you've kind of felt like just maybe a moment or something where you got the feeling that. Hmm. Uh, I want to say yes, but I'm not sure I can give you specific examples. Um, I the the biggest th uh, thing for me that has been uh, great about this whole process is that because um, as you can see when you see the the finished movie, I basically kind of finished the movie for his parents in a way, um, you know, and put it out publicly for them. And so it's been really wonderful to go to all these festivals with them and just see the audience just you know, give them standing ovations, like just embrace them afterward, just the, the volumes of emails that have been coming in. So I think it's been really, I think, a wonderful experience for them to be heard and to be paid attention to, and also to have people validate their pain and what they went through. And, um, you know, I, I, one thing I, I said, you know, Andrew was such a social creature with more friends in far-flung places than anybody I've ever known, <laughs> that it's just like him to be making thousands of more friends seven years after his death. You know, it's, it's just, you know which is, which, which I think is, 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 is really, uh, is, is, is really cool that he's, he's been gone for so long, you know, from the earth, but people are still, right now, getting to meet him, you know, every week that the movie shows at a new festival mm -hmm. when it comes out, so, um, yeah, there's been a, there's been a, a few things that have happened that have just been kind of uh, uh, I don't don't know if I can really talk about specifically. Yeah, well, I didn't want to get too personal. But, I just yeah, no, but just <laughs> just things that just sort of I don't know have kind of uh, magically come together effortlessly that just feel kind of I don't know guided in some way that 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 has happened a little bit. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, you have to go. There. Yeah, she's okay. Okay. No problem. <laughs> sure. So, um, yeah, that's so. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Um, and and even before uh, I actually was uh, really shooting the movie in earnest, there have been other things that have happened in my life that just you know happened in such a way that uh, it, it it just sort of felt like there was there was more going on there than just happenstance. If you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it's hard hard to describe, but uh, short answer is yeah. Okay. Then <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll wrap it up with that. Indeed. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, for our case this week, we watched Dear Zachary: A Letter to a Son About His Father. It's a documentary that was released in 2008. True crime documentary, obviously, chocked full of moida. Um, and but it was different. It was vastly different than any other true crime documentary I've seen. And I think that any other true crime documentary that exists, it was not intended right. to be a true crime documentary. Let's just put it that way. And that's what changed the entire course of it. Yes. You know, it changed the way it was perceived and it, it also made it more vulnerable, especially at the beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, when you figure out why this documentary was made, which was, you know, for the son of a victim of a crime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this documentary was, uh, was written and produced and edited and directed by a man named Kurt Keene, who was the best friend of Andrew Bagby, a man that was murdered. And this documentary was supposed to just be a basically a video scrapbook for friends and family of Andrew Bagby, 
his best friend. Um, now, right. this this Kurt Keene had been a, a movie maker, filmmaker since he was a child, and his best friend Andrew Bagby had starred in many of his movies. Um, and so <laughs> they're when, pretty awesome too. You get are. to see a lot of those clips in the documentary, yeah. and it really gives you some insight into the the chemistry that these guys that these guys had. Exactly, they had a lot of fun. And so when his best friend Andrew Bagby was murdered, um, he decided to go on a quest. He decided to make basically a movie for. Um, Andrew's family and friends, like I said, and to go around and he had a long list of people to meet all over the world and interview um, to get to know Andrew more and also to just share stories about Andrew. Um, and then this this film took on another life. It, 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 it kind of started as one thing and then it became something else because some more stuff happens. Right. Um, we don't want to give away too much. But uh, in this documentary or this this movie that he was making, uh, Kurt decided to interview numerous relatives, friends, and associates of Andrew Bagby and incorporate their loving embraces into a film that would serve as a cinematic scrapbook for the son who never knew him. And I say that because this, this thing takes on a new life later on because yes. at the time that Andrew Bagby was murdered, he didn't know it, but he, was, uh, he would have been a father within, uh, what, seven months, six, seven months um, from the time he was murdered. He would. He, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, he had a, a kid on the way, and he didn't realize it. And so this film became uh, not just a scrapbook for his family, but it became basically the story of uh, of Andrew for his child that was going to be coming. Um, so that, right. I mean, what a gift, man, to give yes. to a child when he be, when he comes of age at eighteen. You know, what a gift to be able to give them. Like, this is who your father was. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this is the DNA inside you. You know, this is the type of, and it gives people the confidence, even if yeah. they don't share those things genetically. It's like, oh well, my well, my dad was always so charismatic, so I in confidence, so mm-hmm. you know, I should be. That's where I get it from. Yep. You know, things like that can instill great things in people in the future. Yeah, that's that's an amazing gift. Yeah, and and so Kurt, he he, he like I said, he went everywhere because because. Andrew had been everywhere. He had touched so many lives. He was a pretty special dude. Um, he I had, don't think his, Kurt had any idea. Right. No, yeah, he learned so much about yeah. He thought he knew everything about his best friend, and he learned so much yeah, about him, him that he didn't know. Years. Yeah. 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 And so uh, Dear Zachary began as a project only to be shown in, to friends and family of Andrew, as we mentioned. However, as the events unfolded, uh, Kurt decided to release the film publicly eventually, and it ended up winning some... Um, film festival awards, and it currently has like a ninety-six percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It's an, a, as as we mentioned, it's an incredible film. Um, it really is. Yeah. So let's let's talk about this Andrew Bagby, the man who was murdered. The subject of this film, Doctor Andrew Bagby, was born September twenty-fifth, nineteen seventy-three, in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, I say shout out, I guess, to uh, BTK, who that was his stomping grounds. But fuck BTK because he's a douchebag. Yeah. But, Andrew let's, Bagby let's is a much Kansas better City representation. Creepers. Yeah, Kansas City Creepers. Again. <laughs> yeah. Um, Andrew Bagby uh, was born in Wichita, but he ended up being raised in California. But he shared a birthday right. with Will Smith, Mark Hamill, and Michael Douglas. Quite a group. What a crew, man. Mike, Will Smith stands out amongst those, I'd say. Oh, of The course. most accomplished. Of, absolutely. Yeah. Most, yeah, most accomplished, most well-known, most versatile. Yeah. Yeah, no Definitely. doubt. Guys that he's uh, movies that he's done. Yeah, he is legend, bro. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah, yep. he's uh, you know, he kind of broke barriers being one of the the first um, black male leads in in many films. You know, you didn't see that a whole lot until Will Smith. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and Will Smith has made it so regular. It's just like, oh, yeah, it's Will Smith. Right. Like, you don't even think about it. It's like, oh, yeah, of course, Will Smith. What a great choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah he knocked, he, he's so versatile, man. He's talented, to say the least. Yeah. So, Andrew. But charismatic, a lot like Andrew. No doubt. You know what I mean? Like, life of the party type person. Mm-hmm. Everywhere they go, it's like, can you imagine the people that have good things to say about Will Smith? Uh, Andrew Bagby, on a much smaller scale, was living this life, I think. Mm-hmm. He affected people a lot like him. Yeah. So, Andrew Bagby. Uh, raised in California, he was the only child, the the beloved only child to David and Kathleen Bagby. It, uh, just an incredible couple. They, this these people were salt of the earth, um, the Bagbys. They were, and we'll talk much Absolutely. more about them as we go through this. Andrew grew up in Sunnyvale near San Jose in Silicon Valley in California, and he met his best friend Kurt, who made this film about him in first grade, and they were thickest thieves ever since. Creating films together and That's awesome, yeah. One of Andrew's many friends, though, as you know, as we come to find out, he was the perpetual best man. He was like everybody's best man. He was that kind of guy, <laughs> right? <clears throat> Much footage in the documentary of him um, doing speeches at bed, uh, as best man at weddings and things like that. Oh yeah, there's like a compilation of guys saying he was the best man at my wedding, best man at my wedding. Yeah, best man. At my yeah, wedding. if I was gonna get married, <laughs> he was gonna be my best man. <laughs> uh, he was gonna be my best man. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, Andrew, his mother was from England actually, and he spent many summers in England, and he had family and friends there as well as he did all over the world. Um, he was, by all accounts, a very special person. He was outgoing, likable, and loyal. Among the many friends that were interviewed throughout the course of this documentary by Kurt were Chris, Matt, Sean, Olivier, Michelle, John, Pete, and Heather. Heather sticks out as she was in a very serious relationship with Andrew for a while, and they had a hard breakup, and it seemed to um, affect him greatly. Um, It it seemed to affect his confidence, and it may have played a role in what happened to him ultimately. I don't think... uh, it's Obviously, it's not Heather's fault, but it did seem to shake his confidence a bit, and he ended up with a person that... He could have done better then, uh, right? Clearly, and, and that's not and that's not strange. That's not a weird response. That's that's so typical. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like so many people do this when they go through a hard breakup, especially if they're the one that got dumped. Mm-hmm. You know, confidence find is going to take a hit. You find a rebound, right? I mean, this is typical. Mm-hmm. This is not like he just made some terribly poor life decision. He was just in a vulnerable situation, right. and somebody came in at just the right time. Yep. Andrew was very dedicated, uh, young man. Uh, he made Eagle Scout by 15. Very impressive feat. Very impressive. Yeah. I think, uh, I'd say the average age is probably like 18 to 20. It takes a, yeah. It takes a long time. You got to have accomplished a lot of crap. Um, you got to hit yeah. a lot of the, you got to get a lot of them badges and things like that. Yeah. Got to, you got to know how to tie a lot of knots and know how to make a fire and all that crap. Yeah. I think that's stuff they do. <laughs> right. <laughs> Learn how to cook moss. I don't. I don't really know. <laughs> right. Learn how to <laughs> cook a frog if you have to. Right. Right. Oh, I. I think I could cook a frog if I had to. I yeah. some frog in legs. the wilderness. Yeah, I'll, I'll tear some frog legs up. Yeah. You ever had? A, have, yeah. you, have you eaten frog legs? Are they good? I have. Yes. They're good. Yeah, I think so. Huh. I mean, you season something right. I mean, you season oh, it yeah, right. Anything can be good. You know what I mean? So. These were That's not what I'm season. asking. I'm asking if it's good. I'm not asking if you could make it good by seasoning the shit out of it. I'm saying the ones that I ate were delicious. All right, all right, all right. How about that? All right. I feel like that's such a Southern thing. Like, I don't see too many people eating frog legs out in Vegas. Nah, probably not. 
I don't know. They got them at them bars, man. I mean, at the uh, casinos, the buffets and stuff. Do they? I, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I had some at like Red Rock Casino. Oh, okay. I'll have to yeah, check that you out. You just ain't looking for it. Yeah. All right. You got to look for them, man. They kind of look like little thin chicken legs, you know, chicken wings. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't got that much meat on them, but they're good. They're like little snack foods. I didn't see this conversation going in this direction. I me either. Let's get back on track. You want to? It's a freebie. Maybe we'll talk we'll fr- frog on legs the, on, on hop just back the banter. On the old crime line. Yeah, let's hop back on the old crime line. Now. All right. So, um, some of the things Kurt didn't know about his friend that he learned throughout the course of interviewing all these people and filming this documentary. Uh, throughout his 22 years of friendship, he never learned that Andrew was really into photography and had like a bunch of photos. And this was something that Kurt made a mission to uncover is some of his photography. And he was very good at that as well. Um, they showed a lot of the photos in the documentary, uh, nature photos and things like that. They were good. Yeah, that struck me as odd that he didn't know about his photography, especially since they made so many like yeah, videos and films stuff. together. Like right? you did so maybe, much videography, but no maybe it was it says something once again about Andrew's character and that he didn't want to bring it up because his buddy was a filmmaker, you know, like, oh, I'm into photography. Um yeah. kind of steal that thunder from him type of thing, you know. Seem needy about seem it. Like, just yeah. kept it to himself. It, yeah, I guess so. I guess Kurt kind of took the lead in that relationship mm-hmm. because their main focus was on film and whatnot and making movies, videos. Yeah. 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 Well, Andrew would end up um, getting into medical school. He would apply for several schools and he would get into medical school in Newfoundland Island in Canada. Newfoundland. So he would end up going to medical school in Canada. That's that's. Yeah, why not? Yeah, exactly. He was that guy's been all over. Any yeah, new challenge. Care. Yeah. Um, however, while in medical school, he met someone that changed everything. He met a woman named Shirley Turner. She was 12 years his senior. She was 40 and he was 28 at the time. They were both going to medical school. Um, she was twice divorced, had three kids with three different men before she met Andrew. Quite the history. And all of a sudden, classmates and friends noticed that this woman, Shirley, was just always around. They didn't really know how they had started dating, but she was just always around, always hanging all over him. And, uh, according to them acting inappropriate, she was yeah, like, I mean, the type that would lick his face in public and just the footage, you can see it. I mean, the footage of them when they're like on dance floors at weddings and things like that, she's just really just coming on strong. We'll say that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It seems a little bit excessive and especially for Andrew and his crowd. Yeah, they seemed they seemed a little more reserved. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I <laughs> like mean, a lot of the people that were interviewed were like, "Whoa!" They were just not only appalled, but they were just disgusted almost. I think if it hadn't persisted for so long, maybe you could just chalk it up to nerves. She's going into a new group of friends, and maybe she just doesn't really. Mm-hmm. The nerves just made her act a little funny. I think we've all been guilty of that from time to time. But this was just persistent, like she and very. Um, I wouldn't say protective, but very jealous as well. Like very uh, mm-hmm. protective of him, and like not not letting anyone near him. Like it's, he's mine. That type of behavior, especially yeah, especially the ex. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, right. the ex Heather yeah. got some uh, got some remarks her way from this new girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and so uh, so that yeah, they have this relationship, and I think they. At least Andrew viewed this as sort of a, a senior year thing, something to take the edge off of medical school. They had all this pressure on them, and and he had you know gone through this rough breakup with Heather, and she's this yeah. fun rebound, and he's just it's a distraction. It's a distraction. I don't think right. I think he made it clear um, to her that he was not looking for anything serious. Um, Shirley, however, I think maybe even if she said that's how it was going to be, she 
She was not that type of person. She didn't get it. Yeah, she didn't no, know how to move on. Um, no. She was very possessive over him. And so when they, when they graduated for medical school, Andrew moved on to Syracuse, New York to do a surgery res- residency. And Shirley moved on to Iowa. Um, however, his year-long residency in Syracuse was just miserable. He hated every minute of it. He would come to find out that surgery was not for him. That was not the type of right. medicine that he wanted to be in. And uh, Shirley, however, would constantly still be calling him, writing to him, and um, coming to visit him. She would make the very long trek to come see him constantly. And I think at the time, he was in a lonely place. He was alone in Syracuse. He was doing this residency, and she was, once yeah, again, a I nice think, distraction for him. Right. I think most of the time, he welcomed the company. Yeah. Like you said, you know, being in a new being in a new city, it was nice to see a familiar face, especially a new city that you hate, doing something that you hate. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Syracuse was just too big of a city for him at that time. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and so by the end of that year, as we said, he had meant, he had realized that surgery was not for him, and he would move on to Latrobe, Pennsylvania, and switch to a family practice residency in tw- 2001. And this that's more his style. He, he would more fall in love with this small town yeah. and with the family practice lifestyle. He wanted to be that doctor in a small town that everybody came to and trusted and was like a, mem- a member of your family, um, of everyone's yep. family in the small town. This was for him. He finally lo- like realized why he had done all this and gone through medical school was for this type of life. Um, yeah, and Latrobe character for that. Latrobe, we found out in the documentary, has some interesting things. They're the home of Rolling Rock Beer. Um, they are. What else was it? There was a few other uh, things. Um, Ar- Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer, Palmer that's Arnold right. Arnold Palmer was born there. Yeah. Uh, something else, man. There's something else that one of the people interviewed said, uh, we're the birth- also the birthplace of such and such. And then mm. she said, unofficially and i was like throw it out <laughs> trashed it because apparently i can't it remember was it was something it really all. big right it was something really big yeah. enough that they couldn't really like claim that yeah but then she said unofficially and i was yeah. just like no i don't know if that's why i can't remember it but i seriously can't remember what it is but definitely rolling rock and arnold palmer so so oh mr rogers bro oh, mr. that's rogers. right mr rogers yeah that's a big one yep yeah, that mr rogers is the definite that's not the uh that's not the unofficially one. my neighbor yeah, Mr. Rogers, though. I mean, that that's that's pretty big things for such a small town USA. That yeah. You know? I mean, that's you are three, the small like, town when you're Mr. Rogers town, you know what I mean? You are the small town. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you're not just a small town. Right. You are the small town. You are the neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and wow. so Andrew is there. Latrobe. Andrew is is now in Latrobe and he's doing his residency at a family practice and loving life and this new life was kind of a clean slate, new start, and this didn't involve Shirley. He was trying to leave her behind, but he wasn't the most direct. He wasn't good at being an asshole. Um, and I'm not sure breaking up with someone as being an asshole, I guess, but I guess he was. He just didn't want to hurt her feelings. He didn't want to hurt her. Well, And he wasn't as direct as he should have been, that, I'm guessing. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, she, she needed that. She needed someone more direct. She was going to take advantage of any inconsistency or any hesitation that mm-hmm. he should. Any, any crack in the door, she was going to open it. Mm-hmm. That's correct. And so he's kind of trying to ignore her at this time while he's in Latrobe, and he's obviously busy and whatnot. Um, and, you know, as, as he always viewed their relationship as not being a long-term thing anyway. And so when he moved to Latrobe, she was a thing of the past as far as he, con- he was concerned, but she was not about to let that happen. She was not a- a- ready to move on from Andrew. 
She was still very possessive of him. And on October 20th, 2001, Andrew was the best man yet again at one of his, one of his friend's weddings. And imagine that he, he had, uh, he had invited Shirley to accompany him to this wedding back in July. This is now October. And this was before he had, you know, decided that their thing needed to be done. And he right. was kind of in a she pickle. probably forgot by now. Yeah. It's probably fine. Yeah. He was in kind of a pickle though, yeah. because surely this is the opening she needed. He did. He had invited her and he couldn't take that back now. And so she was in town to go to this wedding with him. And next thing you know, they're seen on footage on the dance floor together. Um, and, uh, um, could have totally took that back though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. You could take the invitation back. I mean, yeah, man. Some people were so scared to cancel plans at like a certain time or whatever. It's like, no, nah, you can you can cancel or make plans whenever you want. So it's really your life. That's true. You know? That's <laughs> I true. mean, it's your life. Yeah. But but I but Andrew was just too situation. nice of a guy, man. He couldn't couldn't hurt her feelings like that. I guess. Yeah. Not to mention, I mean, she's going to show up, so you're literally going to have to. It's going to be an awkward physically scene. Avoid her. <laughs> Record scratch yeah. on the dance floor. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. God forbid he's dancing with his ex Heather when she walks in. Oh boy. Oh shit. Not that would not be good. Yeah. Be a broken wine glass in her neck. Dude, I was gonna say the same thing. Were you? <laughs> I was gonna say I was thinking broken wine glass as soon as <laughs> I can just picture her come in, just fucking hair a mess and just grabs right. a wine glass, breaks it on the table, starts right. running at her. Yep. <laughs> the neck of the wine glass, if you break that top cup part off, man, that's a that's a Oof. pretty lethal weapon. That is, that is. If you're ever in a pinch at a wedding, guys, here you go. <laughs> exactly. Don't say, don't say we didn't, we didn't tell you. That's right. <laughs> We're not culpable in this, though. <laughs> no, 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 no. Mm-mm. Mm. Mm-mm. I'm gonna play. But that. you're welcome. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> um, so yeah, at this wedding, they were seen together, and she would end up staying with him for like the next two weeks. Um, and on November Jeez. November third, uh, twenty two thousand and one. Andrew would finally pull the bandaid off and break up with Shirley at the airport and send her back to Iowa, which was over a thousand miles away. And I'm sure the relief he felt as he left that, that airport was, was grand, you know, cause this, I'm sure it just been weighing on him. Um, oh, you know it, dude. That's the way to do it. That was a smart way, you know, send her off, you know, right as she's getting off the plane, break it off. There you go. However, there you go. As she's getting on the plane. Yeah. However, yeah. you know, as you know, we're doing this podcast right now for a reason because it, it didn't end there. It, ah, damn it. It was a bit of a Jody Arias to this, Shirley. Quite a bit. A bit? Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a hey, good thing he didn't have a doggy door. Let's just put Jody. it that way. Good thing he didn't have what? Good, just like I said, it's a good thing he didn't have a doggy door because he would have woke up with her standing over his bed. <laughs> oh, <it's>, <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. No doubt, man. Yeah. So he's he, coming through that thing. So he breaks it off and sends her on the plane back to Iowa. Um, and two days later, at 5 a.m., he gets a knock at his door back in old Iowa. I mean, uh, back in, Pen- in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, he gets a knock at his door and it's Shirley. And so she essentially had taken the flight home and almost immediately gotten in a car and driven all the way back. And no lag time between because this was a long drive. We said, as he said, I think it's like 1,300 miles or something from where yeah, she like was in Iowa. Yeah, hours, wasn't it? Somewhere around yeah, 18 it hours? Was, yeah, it was more than half a, a day. A hike. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so it's a bit weird, you know, a bit weird. And it freaked his buddy and colleague out, uh, a guy named Clark, that he worked with at the family practice when Andrew told him, that he'd broken up with her, sent her home, and she was already back at his door. He warned him. He told Andrew, look, dude, do not meet with this woman in private. 
Um, if you meet with her, meet her in a public place. Um, he, you know, this was a phone conversation that was going down on uh, November 5th, 2001. Right. You know, Andrew called him and told him what had happened. And he was supposed to go meet with Shirley, uh, like right after their phone call ended. And they decided that after he went and met with Shirley, that they would meet at Clark's house to talk this whole thing over, uh, with some beers that evening on November 5th, 2001. So he hangs up with Clark and later that evening, Clark doesn't, uh, get a visit from his buddy. They don't have the beers together. And he said in the documentary, you know, one thing about Andrew was that he was never late for anything. And so he became quite concerned right. when that happened. And even more so the next morning when he didn't show up to work, when Andrew did not show up to work on November 6, 2001, he was more than concerned. He was um, honestly convinced that something had happened to his friend. Um, he left a voicemail at his house saying, you know, I'm coming to your house right now. I'm going to pound on the door. You better answer. Um, his car was not at the house when he got there. And then they got word that a man in medical scrubs had been killed at Keystone Park. And state police would arrive shortly thereafter to their, de- to their uh, medical practice to inform them that the man that had been killed was, in fact, their friend Andrew. And You know, in hindsight, it, it seems like Andrew was just being, being naive and gullible. But, I mean, who really thinks that someone's going to go to this extent? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Especially someone who, at this point, put off such a demeanor as as Shirley did. Like she was, she was strange, yes, but she she didn't never seem dangerous. Right. He didn't give her you any. I, mean? I don't think he gave her any reason for her to show those signs of a dangerous person. Because Lord knows the ex boyfriends that she had saw them, and we know that for a fact. Right. Saw some very scary signs. Um, yeah. I think Andrew just kind of went al- went along with everything with her. She was the seemed to be the the more forward person in their relationship, and he was just having fun. Well, with she was it. the more experienced person in general. Yes, being forty years old, mm-hmm. I mean, him only being twenty eight years old, so naturally she's going to take the lead. Yeah, and he didn't give and her any I, reasons to be jealous and things like that, or to you know for right. her to have these violent outbursts. Um, and so when his That's buddy, true. you know, when his when it, when his buddy Clark told him like dude you need to be concerned he kind of laughed like are you, are you like really you think so and you know that's when he said well maybe we should talk response. about this later and you can break this down for me like i don't see why i should be so concerned right. and you know Clark was wise to tell him this however it was unfortunate that he couldn't prevent him from going to meet with Shirley just after that phone conversation right because Andrew would be found face down in the parking lot uh, at Keystone Park behind his Toyota Corolla He'd been shot five times, once in the face, once in the chest, twice in the buttocks, and once in the back of the head with a twenty-two caliber pistol. Obvious to see this was personal. Yes. And I mean, multiple shots to the buttocks and yes. point blank to the head. This is just so personal. Mm-hmm. It wasn't in the butt cheek either. It seemed because I, you know, there was some aerial views and some kind of pictures in the documentary of yeah. him laying there, and it seemed like it was. Uh, accurately directed, you know, into the buttocks. It was a very yes. like personal, kind of demeaning thing to do to someone. Absolutely, um, it, yeah. It was meant to send a me- send a message. Mm-hmm. And so when Clark talked, when the police came to the to the office, Clark told them right away, like, you don't have to look far for who did this. And he explained that, you know, someone was in town that would have reason to want to harm him. And, and, you know, he had warned Andrew about this person and this person was right. Shirley. And, uh, when the police called her 
and talked to her, they found out that she had just recently purchased a 22 pistol, coincidentally. And her story was that she couldn't find it. She had misplaced this pistol and that she had called in to, to work sick um, uh, on the day that Andrew was uh, murdered, also coincidentally. All, but she was, in fact, in Iowa, uh, according to her. Right, but not with Andrew, of course. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, but I'll, I'll look for that gun for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll get that right I'll over see to you. what I can you. find. Um, now, it would take some time, but the police would track the cell phone towers uh, that you know were pinging off of Shirley's cell phone, and they would, yeah. they would prove that she was not in Iowa like she said she was, that she was, in fact, in the day leading up to Andrew's murder, she had, the day prior, she had been driving from Iowa to Pennsylvania. They saw um, calls come in, in in each state on her way to Pennsylvania from Iowa. Um, and then following the murder calls, she was still calling Andrew to try and cover her ass, basically. She even left a creepy voicemail saying like, hey, I'm just checking in on you. I love you. After she had killed him, Man. once again, very Jody Arias. Very Jody Arias. Yes. And she really doesn't understand cell phones at all, man, how they work or anything. <laughs> right. Like, wow, you're texting them and calling them the whole time on the on the way there. So every <laughs> single time, it's sending a ping. You know what I'm yeah. saying? This was 2001. I think this, I, mean, I don't know how many people understood uh, cell phone tracing on That's towers true. and things like that back then. Cell phones were still pretty new at the time, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they it, and it took time too as well because it was 2001. They had to like manually go to each tower. I don't know how that yeah, works. It took like two weeks. It yeah, took like two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah so, so she had time to run. Yep, and she did. And so feeling the pressure, she would flee uh, back to Newfoundland, where she had gone to college, where she had met uh, Andrew, and this would yep. cause all sorts of problems. And that's where this case. Uh, part two of it, essentially. I mean, this is we're we're gonna stay, keep recording the same episode, but this this thing yeah. flips again, and it it goes into a whole other realm. And the fact that she runs to Canada, it creates all these issues because now she has to be extradited, and it's mm-hmm. just not that easy. We see it takes a long time, and especially when it seems like the courts are on your side, it takes even longer, um, and people can get hurt because they just keep letting her out. Um, yes. So yeah, Andrew's parents uh, were just devastated when they heard that their son had been killed. Um, they was they were interviewed throughout this documentary, and you just you just grow to love these people and really feel for them. They their son was everything to them. That was their whole life, and they were very honest in the moment when they talked about finding out that their son had been murdered. They basically their they said their plan was to. Um, fly out there to Pennsylvania, get his body, bring it back to California, have the services, the funeral, and then kill themselves because they had no reason to live anymore. And, uh, wow. Yeah. And you gotta, you gotta understand that. I mean, as a parent, imagine losing all of your children. Mm, Yeah. They only had one and they put everything into him and they were so proud of him and what he'd become. And they were so looking forward to, you know, grandkids and, you know, the rest of his life and seeing what he could accomplish. And then it was stolen from them. He was an amazing, amazing person too, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. He did such a great job. Mm-hmm. And through him met so many people. And were you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And were then enriched through him in multiple ways, which they found out through this documentary. Yeah. Which was pretty incredible as well. Yeah. Yeah. And they and they knew. They knew that uh Shirley was responsible for this as well. They heard of the evidence against her and whatnot, and they knew that she had fled to Newfoundland. 
And there would be several services held for Andrew in different cities, you know, one in California, one in Pennsylvania, even one in Newfoundland, where he had gone to college and met Shirley. And in Newfoundland yeah. at the funeral, Shirley had the the gall to attend and of course no, made a scene crying hysterically. We've seen this behavior before. Um Despicable, yep, sure despicable have. to show up and then to steal the thunder and try to make it all about you as well. Just says like, a lot if about you're her. Accused, if you're accused of a murder, do not show up at the funeral. If you're just accused, just don't. Right. Like, what the hell? Like, as much as it, it's not going to help to show how much you care for that person, it's just not going to work. It never gets perceived that way. It's like in every case we've ever seen where the killer shows up to the to the funeral, it's just awful. It's It's either for selfish reasons... You know what I mean, or, or, or just to well, kind of try and reasons. show that you're you're not doing anything out of the norm, that you're doing what you would do if you were innocent. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true too. But it just never it never works out that way, does it? No, it just never seems like it's perceived that way. No. Yeah, and Andrew's parents uh, at their service in California that they held, they actually, you know, thought it'd be a good idea to invite Shirley because that would mean she would have to come to the U.S. where then she could ha- they could have her arrested for the murder. Yeah, come on over here, Shirley. Just avoid the whole extradition process altogether. Just convince her to fly out yeah. and set this trap. And she didn't take the bait, unfortunately. She was aware Shocker. of what they were trying to do and didn't fall for it. She stayed put in Newfoundland where they would take care of her. The, the, the law system there would just kind of, you know, just let her off the hook yeah. over and over again. So why and not? It's almost like... It's almost like Shirley knows a little bit about the law system, huh? Seems funny. Seems like she knew a little bit about how she, Newfoundland she would it. treat her. Yeah, she knows how to work it pretty well. Yeah. She does, indeed. So she would be, in, in fact, arrested in Newfoundland, however, on December 12, 2001, and spend a whopping several hours in jail before being released. They would let her out on bail the same day. Uh, after she posted $75,000 bail, which 65 oh, yeah. of it was put up by her psychiatrist. So 10K yep, is what she had to put now. up, supposedly. And if you listen to people close to this, they would they would tell you in the documentary that none of this money was even real. None of it was actually even put up. It was all just nope. phony. I guess it was like promises. Mm-hmm. You know? It's, it's weird how much they let you promise and get out of jail in Newfoundland. It's insane. <laughs> I mean, it's bizarre. I hope that a lot of this has changed, and we find out later that a lot yeah. did change um, because of this case. And that's one good thing that can happen in true crime of when course. there's a tragedy. A lot of times, there is a, a good result that comes from it in the end, and that laws can be changed because of stuff like this. Yeah, absolutely, and and it and it has. It yes, has. I just didn't want to ruin the ending. You know? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I don't give away too much. That's okay. That's all right. That's what we do. <laughs> we ruin the ending. <laughs> Yeah, so when, when Shirley was arrested in Newfoundland, uh, amazingly, a deal had already been in place, basically, in the courts, in which she was to turn in her passports, sign in once a week at the police station, promise not to leave Newfoundland, you know, good old, oh, I promise I won't leave, yeah, and avoid contact with friends and family of the late Andrew Bagby. So people like the Bagbys, Andrew's parents, you know, avoid contact with them, don't leave. And promised, you know, to just to, to stay good, you know, don't don't do anything like this again. And basically, you can walk the streets. Yeah, what what's the worst that could happen? Right, <laughs> we would see this um, time and time again throughout this case. Uh, it's enraging. It, it really is. It really it, to see the justice system fail someone to this extent. It was surprising to me, and I've seen it over and over again mm-hmm. in the cases that we've studied. But this was just appalling. In so many ways, and then 
just the way the documentary unfolds, you know, expounded on all of the flaws. Yep. You know what I'm saying of it? So it just really brought it to your attention and it's it's hard to miss. And them letting her out would get a whole lot worse because uh, everything changed following this latest, uh, her getting out of jail um, because a press conference would be held in which Shirley stated that she was four months pregnant with Andrew's baby, the man that she had murdered in cold blood. She had his baby inside of her um, and this Changed everything for David and Kathleen Bagby, obviously. They were now going to be grandparents as they always wanted to be. And there was nothing in the world more important to them after finding out this news than making sure that they won custody of that child and did not let this child be raised by the evil woman that had murdered their child. Um, They sold everything that they had and used all of their savings to move to Newfoundland and fight a custody battle against this woman. Um, And right away when they moved to Newfoundland, they became pillars in the community and they became, they made so many friends. There was people from Newfoundland that were friends. in the documentary that were laughing like the, yeah. these people come here and they had immediately within like six months had more friends than we'd had after growing up here and living here our whole lives. They were just that type of people. They were magnetic. <laughs> they were magnetic. Good word, man. They That's the only way to describe them. They just, they just, they oozed genuine goodness. Mm-hmm. They had just had good intentions, you know? Yeah. Logical people as well. Yeah. And so they get there and their their whole plan, their hope is that, you know, the, the baby uh, will be born and Shirley will be extradited to America. She'll, you know, get, get uh, sentenced. Uh, she'll, you know, the trial will happen and, and she'll be charged with murder for killing their son, Andrew Bagby. And they'll Obviously. have this grandchild and it'll be like, you know, if it's a boy, it'll be like raising Andrew all over again. And there'll be some good yeah. that came out of this whole thing. Of course, Second it's never chance. that simple. You know, when we're doing a case like this. Of course not. Yeah. So and we're only like halfway through. So yeah. So Shirley's uh <laughs> she's there, she's she's awaiting extradition um to face the charges. Um, but in hearing after hearing, the extradition got pushed back further and further. And by July eighteenth, two thousand two, when baby Zachary Andrew Turner was born, Shirley was still awaiting extradition and she gets to just, you know, be a mom. To this, a mom. to this young boy that she had, you know, birthed and the father was the man that she had murdered. Um, and she just yeah. gets to live on her life waiting to be extradited. And it just seems to never be coming. It just seems to, her lawyer is very good at postponing these things. Um, and now with a, her having a baby, that's just all the more ammunition for them to use to push back the, the extradition. You know, I'm sure she loved when she found out she was pregnant because it was like, Ooh, I can use this to stay out of prison basically. Oh, of course, and more sympathy. Mm-hmm. I mean, who's going to get more sympathy than you know, a forty-year-old woman who's, who just had a baby yep. in prison? I mean, she doesn't look like she probably doesn't look like someone who could kill somebody, right? You know what I mean? I think a lot of that helped her a lot in this situation, and and some of the judges that she got as well. It didn't seem like through the early hearings in Newfoundland. Um, about you know re- regarding her extradition, was there very much mm-hmm. evidence presented? You know. Had they, you you eventually see she gets arrested again, and I think that's after they found a lot. They they heard more of what she had done, and they were, they were presented with right. more evidence that proves that she was the person that killed Andrew Bagby. I think this whole time they just they, they didn't realize what they had. Maybe they assumed she was innocent, or for whatever reason. Yeah, or maybe, maybe they were just, just buying her act. You know, self defense. Mm-hmm. They could have thought it was self defense. Yeah, who knows what you they know, were feeding time, what or, she was feeding them. Yeah. She's very manipulative. Yeah, a helpless mother fighting back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And her lawyer seemed like a real scumbag, and he 
would end up getting charged <laughs> with some stuff later on. So we we know for a fact he was a, a scumbag. Yeah, he's a better call Saul. Yeah. <laughs> so um, when when young Zachary was born on July 18th, 2002, Shirley would make the Bagbies, um, Zachary's grandparents, view the boy through the glass, not let them see him. And when the Bagbies, knowing their only current chance to have a place in Zachary's life was to work with Shirley, the woman who had murdered their son in family court. Torture. And fight for visiting time. Uh, and the measly time they could get with him was one hour a week. Uh, supervised time per week, one hour. And Shirley would even basically uh, start accusing them after their one hour visits of keeping Zachary longer than the hour, which was basically implicating the, su- the visitation supervisor as well because there was a supervisor yeah, there. So if they did say. anything... You know, the, and Shirley accuses them of that. She's basically accusing the supervisor of misconduct and as that well. Is, and that is one thing um, that the Bagbies made sure They were actually excited about that. Where they're like, look, we're, we're seeing, yes, now there's proof she's a psycho. A like, she's clearly lying because we've had a supervisor here the whole time. So how could we have done anything? Right. But even going forward from here, they make sure that they have some sort of mediator between them and Shirley mm-hmm. all of the time. And I think that is crucial. That was a really good move yeah. on them because she was looking for any window. And if you don't have a non-biased witness yeah. there. That you know and the saying? Bagbees are also very clever in that they recorded every conversation they had with her. Like they yes. they made sure that if she ever said anything, they had evidence to the contrary to prove she was lying. Yep. yep. So that was smart. Yeah. Because she was looking for any reason. They to hated this woman, picture. you know, as if she had killed their son, because she did. Because she did. I was like, wait. <laughs> this, yeah. I was like, what, what exactly. can I compare, you know, how much they hate her to? Like, oh, well, if you killed my son, I hate you pretty much. That's pretty much how much they hated her. That's, I don't know how you could get a lot worse than that. Right. Yeah, their only son as well. Yeah, and so yet month after month passed, and Shirley and her legal team managed to find more legal speed bumps to delay the extradition. Finally, on November 14th, 2002, Shirley was arrested and held in custody until she could be extradited to the U.S. to face trial. And this was when evidence had finally been presented during these hearings that convinced the judge that she was, in fact, guilty of this crime and must have thought, wow, we've had her walk in the streets this whole time with the baby of the man that she murdered. Um, And it's clear now that she did, in fact, murder this man and shot him five times. Maybe we should get her off the streets. Um, But that wouldn't last long yet again in this, you know. Oh, Disgusting case. It's we we just want to check in with her. We just want just bring her in for a, for a yeah. quick conversation. We just want to make sure get a, get a quick upgrade Let's on that. Tell promise, her she was naughty, and we'll you know make her promise right. not to do this. Say say you're sorry. Say you're sorry. Okay. Yeah. Maybe even get it in writing, and then we'll yeah we'll pop her back out there. She should be good to go. Yeah. Raise a baby. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. But the the Bagbies, upon hearing this, that she was arrested and that she wouldn't get out until. You know, it was until she was extradited. And then once she was extradited to the U.S., she was surely to be found guilty. And this was it. This is what they were waiting for. This, they, this was supposed to be the end. Um, they were awarded right. full custody of Zachary, as they had hoped, as long as Shirley was in jail. And part of their custody was unfortunate in that they had to have a phone call with Shirley every day for, what, like 30 minutes or something and let her talk to Zachary right. and her fake bullshit. She would be like, hey, Zachary, how you doing? Mommy loves you. Mommy loves you. You're a right. great He's little a pawn for my right schemes. Now. I love you. You great little yeah. <laughs> keeping me out of prison, baby. I love you. Uh, you little gold baby. Yeah. Can you help me? 
yeah. finance. Remember, she had three experience. kids with three uh, three different men prior to having this baby, and it doesn't seem like they were in her lives. I don't think she was a stellar mother. I think she would, was the type of person that yeah. used kids to her advantage in situations and was not warm or loving towards them at all. No, she yeah, she used them as leverage pawns. Yeah, she was paychecks. a fucking sociopath. Yeah, no doubt. So, as we alluded to, on she would be out of jail, you know, and it would be an absolute nightmare yet again for the Bagbees. They thought this whole thing was over. They were getting, they were getting Zachary, um, and the evil woman could not, you know, lay fingers on him again. However, on January tenth, two thousand three, the unthinkable happened. Shirley was released from jail again. They had lied when they said that uh, she would remain in jail until she was extradited. Shirley was yeah, very did. clever. Um, however, she was out of money and out of an attorney at the time. So she wrote to the judge and asked how to write up an appeal because she didn't have an attorney to help her do it. Um, the mm-hmm. judge had his secretary write up a response with instructions on how to write the appeal in a manner that might get her out. She did that just that. She followed the instructions, wrote up an appeal, and got one hell of a judge as far as she was concerned, a judge that when the Bagbees walked into the court for this appeal hearing, right away they said, we knew when we saw this judge and she was uh, basically just having a good old time with Shirley before they got there, laughing it up and you know, just like yeah. old pals. This judge, Gail Welsh, for whatever reason, took very lightly to uh, Shirley and basically let her out. She said that in her opinion, Shirley's offense was personal in nature, not aimed at the general public. She was not a threat to the public and therefore she should be released. She simply made Shirley promise to behave and not flee Newfoundland and released her out into the streets of Newfoundland again, Newfoundland again, and basically gave her, her baby Zachary back full custody. Yep. All that checks out. Unbelievable. That's Newfoundland law right there. All that checks out, man. That's good. Unbelievable. Let man. Her out. I mean, I feel like we're really crapping on Newfoundland. I'm, I'm hoping they've cleaned up, you know, the kind of whatever they had going on in their courts at this time back in 2001, yeah. 2002, 2003. I'm sure they have. I'm sure they have. Yeah. But um, this is, this is, wow. It's, it's unbelievable. But, but it really is unbelievable. This is a lesson learned, though. People, heads roll for this shit. Though. Yes. Heads roll for this shit. And they shit, needed to. They fucking needed to. Yes. Um, so, you know, so this, this judge lets her out on these, you know, pretenses that, you know, this was an attack, a personal attack on a person. And since when does that grounds for release of a person? If you, if I perpetrate a, a, you know, an attack on my wife, let's say that's a personal attack. I I may or may not be a threat to the general public. It might've just been my beef with her. I should still, I should still go to prison for the rest of my life. 100%. And who's to say you're not going to get a personal beef with someone right now? You walk out the door and someone flips you off, and next thing you know, you kill them. That's a personal attack, but it's also aimed at the general public. It her grounds for releasing her were so absurd and, and ridiculous. At the time, Shirley had eight people on active restraining orders against her. Her ex-boyfriend had followed a, a report that she had threatened to commit suicide on his front door. And while in jail, she had uh, a report in that she had tried to stab another inmate with a fork. This is who we're talking about. Is not a threat to the general public. Oh, and she had uh, shot her ex-boyfriend five times, by the way. Right. Don't forget about that. Yeah. And all this was all like recent. This was all current. Yes. This is like, not yeah. like stuff in her past. This is like stuff that should have came up like red flags yeah. immediately upon her being booked. Should have been looked at in her like, appeal hearing. Like, well, you did try to stab an inmate with a fork. Um, right. You know, you have all these restraining, restraining orders that go out against you. And there's a 
bunch of evidence that proves that you shot your ex-boyfriend five times, the ba- you know, the father of your son. So Right. It's like the judge only read the appeal and that's it. Like she didn't look at anything else. She only read and for whatever reason what Shirley she just wrote. Liked Shirley right? for some reason. I don't know what that's I, about. I guess. It's insanity. Oh, it's absolute insanity to give that baby back to this murderer. Absolute insanity. It's bad enough she's walking the streets, but you give this innocent child back to her and she is yeah. clearly a dangerous person. Yeah, it's inexcusable. Yeah. So with Shirley out again, she was given full custody of Zachary again. And the Bagbees were back to fighting for, you know, scraps, just trying to see Zachary as much as they could, which at this point became a three day a week, three hour visit schedule. So they could see him for nine hours a week at best. And mm-hmm. at this point, this this was all on Shirley's terms. And she made it very awkward in that at this point, she made it to where their visits were with her. When they did anything with Zachary, she was present. If they went to the pool with Zachary, she was there swimming with them, which right. is very you know, eerie when you think about how this case ends. Um, well, because thing, but. for some reason, for some reason, Lauren, she was worried that they might have bad things to say about her. Can you imagine that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Oh, my God. <laughs> what would David and I don't Kathleen want, I, I'm worried about what you're say saying to young Zachary, like maybe that I'm a murderer right. that killed his daddy. Yeah. You could be putting crazy things in his head. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah. So imagine having to hang out with the woman that killed your son just so that you could see your grandson. Um, Shirley would even goat them out of money, calling them, uh, and basically saying like, I, I I don't know if I can feed Zachary or I don't have any diapers. And, um, and they would basically say, look, we will drop off food and diapers right now. He will not go unfed. He will not, you know, have dirty diapers. That is not going to happen. They were there for him every step of the way being the great people that they were and caring for Zachary more than anything in the world that was left after their son was taken. He was their world now, man. It refocused. Yep. Yeah, these people needed that. They needed that. They needed to care for someone. Yep. It was like the, it really was their purpose. But one thing became a big problem parents. regarding the regarding um, the Bagbees, as far as Shirley was concerned, and that was her jealousy and her ego. Um, one thing that really yes. had been bothering her was that every time she was with the Bagbees, with young Zachary, with her son, uh, when the choice was given to Zachary between her and his grandma, Kathleen Bagby, he would choose Kathleen every time, every time, because she was- Genuine love. A, yeah, there was genuine love because he could sense the warmth coming from Kathleen and that he really loved her and the coldness coming from his mother. Absolutely. Yep. And that, that really stuff, drove Shirley crazy. Um, and you know how she gets when she's crazy. Yeah, murderous. Yeah. So the next hearing for extradition was set for September 25th, 2003. The Bagbees were hoping that this was going to be it. But of course, they had thought that before. They had thought that they had already won before. Um, And this hearing was set for what would have been Andrew's 30th birthday, coincidentally. September 25th, 2003. This was the day the Bagbees were waiting for. They were hoping she would be sent to America, found guilty. Once again, they were hoping for this. And once again, they would be disappointed, and this time it would be absolute heartbreak once again for them. How much? Yeah. How this, much can these people take, man? This part of the documentary, when I watched it, I went into it cold. I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything. I just heard this this documentary, Dear Zachary, <laughs> was good. It was a good true crime documentary. Went into it not knowing a fucking thing. Watched it, 
And as it unfolded, this part blindsided me like a fucking M. Night Shyamalan movie. I didn't see this coming. Um, I think you guys probably see this coming. We've alluded to it enough, but it, I just didn't expect it. I didn't, man, this, this part, I was just bawling. So on August 18th, 2003, this would be a week before the hearing that would potentially send her to America to face charges. Shirley strapped young Zachary to her chest and jumped into the Atlantic Ocean with the 13-month-old Zachary um, in a murder-suicide. They would After be found- giving them both sleeping pills. She had given him sleeping she, pills and supposedly he was asleep when she jumped in. Nonetheless, yeah. she killed this baby and herself out of a final act of extreme selfishness once again. Um, David and Kathleen were obviously just beyond comprehension and just devastated once again. And there's moments in this documentary that are just so real from David Bagby where you just feel him and where he's just like, you know, Kathleen's bawling her eyes out and just inconsol- inconsolable. Yeah. And he's like, you see what this fucking bitch did to us? Like, I, I, if I could strangle her right now, I would. I should have killed her. You know, there's times where they had thought of ways to get young Zachary away from her. But, you know, yeah. there was just David, not many options other than him killing her. for the worst. The only option yeah. was David Bagby waiting for Kathleen to go to sleep that, so that she wasn't implicated in it, sneaking out of the house and going and killing her. That was the only option he could see because if he tried to run away with the baby, you know, there was just too many obstacles there. They would have to hide out forever, change their names. The baby, you know, Zachary would never get to know any of his friends or family, anything like that. Um, right. they, they just, they were left with no options and the system failed them so hard, failed them so hard, failed young Zachary so hard. The system killed that baby 100%. And they would later basically admit to it and things would change yeah. thanks to this case, but it's unfortunate that it had to happen like that. Absolutely. It just, God, man, just the, like you said before, the overwhelming selfishness. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to be alive anymore, at least let them take care of your baby. But the fact that they wanted to take Zachary just... She couldn't just stand the fact that, that Zachary to, would be happy she, with Kathleen Bagby, more happy than he would have been with her. She couldn't stand that. Yeah, that. And she maybe she just wanted to hurt them one more yeah, time. Yeah, I think that's like, also what it is. Yeah. Because... Oh my God, man, the damage that she done. And that's that's like one of the things that David talks about. He's like, you took my son, you took our grandson. And, and now look, look at what we're left with, into. you know, as he's sitting next look to at, Kathleen, just in a heap, you know, just bawling. Right. Imagine, imagine the strain and the, the that it's put on their relationship mm-hmm. and their quality of life. You know, I mean, how do you get up and go hunky? Oh, oh, hunky dory. Everything's great. Yeah. After going through something like this. Yeah. And these were, like you said, salt of the earth people. Yeah. And just horrible things happened to them. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, David and Kathleen Bagby were left dumbfounded and grief stricken. Um, Kurt Kinney's, uh, his attempts to arrange interviews with the prosecutors and judges, Kurt being the man who made this documentary, they were yeah. uh, rebuffed. You know, every time he called and tried to talk to anybody that basically let this happen in the, in the justice system in Newfoundland. He was turned out, turned down every time. Um, they were clearly they realized that they had fucked up big time. Um, oh yeah, and things would change over this because this would set the Bagbies off on another mission. You know, there's just one thing after another where they thought that you know things were finally going to stop, and they continued to get worse and worse, tragedy after tragedy, all because the system. They were hoping the whole time, like like David Bagby said at one point, he's like, you know, I just thought that this. This doesn't happen. The system is going to do what it's supposed to do, and we'll get Zachary, and she'll be in prison. But they just continued to fail them, and 
So distraught over Zachary's death and outraged at the Canadian legal system's failures to protect the child, David and Kathleen mounted a campaign to reform the county's bail laws. A panel convened by Newfoundland's Ministry of Justice agreed, releasing a report stating that Zachary's death had been preventable and that the government's handling of Turner's case had been inadequate. Um, So Shirley Turner's psychiatrist would end up being found guilty of misconduct and having helped her post bail. Um, And the director of Newfoundland's child welfare agency resigned. Um, so yeah, it was, remember her psychiatrist was really playing a role in this. He had put up the bail for her, that 65,000 initially, they got her yeah, out and walked in the streets. Sketch. Yeah. Super sketch. Like yeah. what was he, what was up with him I and the judges know. and her lawyer and the judges? Like there seemed to be some kind of insider shit going on. Yeah. I don't think he got a whole lot out of that psychiatrist either in the documentary. I know he got him in front of the camera a few times, but he never really said anything. Yeah at all really yeah. i think most of the time he was like packing his stuff up to leave so i don't know if maybe he ambushed him and the right. guy wouldn't give an interview yeah. and he was leaving or what but uh that was yeah super shady about that guy he was like i gotta get the hell out of dodge yeah <clears throat> um, here's how moving this film was dear zachary uh scott andrews was a member of parliament in canada and he after watching a screening of the film dear zachary presented a bill on march 23rd 2010 um, called Bill C-464, known as the Zachary Bill. Um, and it basically, the goal of the bill was to protect the children and force judicial uh, judicial decision makers to keep the safety of children in mind during bail hearings and in custody disputes, particularly when a child is in the custody of someone who has been charged with a serious crime. That, yeah. it just seems obvious. Like, that should have already been in there. You know what I mean? Like, someone who kills someone shouldn't, if they do happen to get out on bail, shouldn't be given a child back, you know, like until this whole thing is settled, until they are proven innocent in the court of law, like until they've had a trial and they're acquitted, you just can't give a kid back to them. You just can't do yeah. that. So yeah, the, the Zachary or the, the Bagby's were just on a mission and they, they made a lot of change because of this. Um, seven years after Andrew Bagby's death and over two years after the film was released, Zachary's bill was signed into law protecting children um, from these, you know, violent offenders who get out on bail, thankfully. And David Bagby would go on to write a best-selling book about his family ordeal during the saga. It's called Dance with the Devil, A Memoir of Murder and Loss. And I can't think of someone who could discuss loss more than him. Maybe his wife, that's about it. But Yeah, I'm definitely going to check that book out. Yeah, I... it's, it's available in audible form as well, by the way. Oh, so. right on. Even better. Yeah. Even better. Have like you checked it out? How long sure. is it? Do you know? Oh, I don't know. I didn't check the, oh, okay. the hours on it, but. Right on. Just curious if it's abridged or not. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it's if you story. do happen to be on trial and you're, you're sweating up a storm, you could smell better for the courtroom and maybe have a better chance of getting off if you were wearing some. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, dude, that's our sponsor. Dude, good segue. <laughs> Uh, oh My Gaia, an innovative all-natural deodorant fragrance and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. And guys, there's tons of scents to choose from. Lauren, do you have the scents? I got them all right here, baby. Let's hear them. Uh, first one, unscented. So, you know, oh, if oh, you... No scent. Y- if you're trying to go hunting or you just, you know, you're not meshing, you just like the natural smell of yourself, yeah, you can go with unscented gotta, and just stay that that old, you know, old flavor. Yeah, maybe you got some good musk or some good pheromones, you know. Just let right. those babies roar. 
but yeah. you don't. Maybe you, know, you are your own yeah. scent, and you need to like bottle that up and send it to Wendy so she can create your scent. Oh, yeah. Because it's going to be in such high demand. It's like Sex Panther, you know. Oh, 60% of the time, it works every time. <laughs> hey, that's right. That's right. So we got uh, unscented vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, li- lilac, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, flower power, Egyptian musk, pure, bergamot amber, fireside, sweet pea, sailor, oh baby, pear, Idaho, barbershop, and our favorite because it's got our face on it and it smells tremendous, true crime pine. Of course. Guys. Yeah. We got our own deodorant. Start. That's right. Suck yeah. up on it, if you, <laughs> but don't don't really. It's not it's not edible. But yeah, yeah, don't do it's a great place it's to start. It's not toxic though. Probably wouldn't kill you. Yeah, not but don't toxic. do it. It's not it's recommended. Fine. It's natural. not what it's for. It goes in your pits. That's right. It's, it's it goes in your pits, guys. And because you guys are true crime guys, listeners, you can use the word creeper for fifteen percent off. C R E E P E R, and that gets you fifteen percent off at shop underscore oh my Gaia on Instagram or ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A dot com. Do it, guys. You will not regret it. No, you will not. Okay. All right. Let me reviews. see. We got some uh, rate, ratings and reviews to talk about and give shout-outs to some people here. We got Ojo right. in the U.S. said, Lady Creeper, five stars. You guys are awesome. Um, yeah, thank you, Ojo. And then we got S-K-S-L-S-K. L-A-K-A-A in U.S. said, Crimes and Cakes. Hello from Maryland. Great podcast. Great banter. Listening all day at work as a cake decorator. Who doesn't live, love crime and cake? I would love to go to Maryland that. and try your cake. So Absolutely. thank you. Then we got Domestic Sparkle in Great Britain. Said, five-star podcast. Absolutely love you guys. Love the banter, the music, intro for the story. You're both uh, analyzing and love your chemistry. Been listening to True Crime Podcast the last couple of years. Leave, after leaving the police force and investigating true crime every day, stumbled across you guys. Thank you very much, Domestic Sparkle. Oh, wow. Thank you. Um, and we got Haley Cohens in the U.S. said, uh, I guess this person's name's Melissa? I don't know. Five stars. You guys are awesome. Listen to you every night, especially when I want to escape into something else and can close my eyes and just listen. You make the episodes come out. You can't make the episodes come out fast enough for me. Oh, well, thanks, Melissa. How do you feel about that? That we're like, you know, people are falling asleep to our voices. Um, I think that's okay. I think we, I think we kind of have soothing voices, you know. And sometimes we just, we're just rambling. Maybe it's a, a lot of people listen to, they listen to them over again, so they don't really need to know the story. Yeah, you know, I, I'm okay with that. A play is a play, right? Downloads, download. Hey, let it play on repeat. You know, start a true crime guys playlist. Taking a nap. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm cool with that. Right. Yeah. And then if you if you uh, binge all those episodes, then you can go check out Patreon, right? Patreon.com slash True Crime Guys. You're jumping ahead. You're jumping ahead. We got two more people to thank for writing oh, reviews real quick. Sorry. You were letting me talk a lot, so I thought you needed a segue. I was going to help you out. No, I mean, I was just letting you talk for once. Darn, That's I all. just wasted a perfectly good segue. <laughs> That's fine. Go ahead with your reviews. Let's get everybody. All right. We got uh, Kiara Ali. In the U.S. said, my new favorite five stars, fairly new listener. I can say officially this is my new favorite true crime podcast. Thank you, Kiara Ali. You have great taste. And then we got (laughs) Rachel Misha in the U.S. said, obsessed, started a few months back, and I'm already caught up. Can't wait for more. You are committed because that's a lot of episodes in a few months. Yes, it is. a lot of hearing us idiots talk. Right on. I'm sorry. All right, now you can do your segue over to the Patreon, baby. Oh, yes, patreon.com slash guys. For just two bucks a month, you guys can get access to that one week that you miss us every month. You know, 
that every four weeks. Like last like, week? Where's two crime guys? They just fucking fall off the map. They fucking slack us. Didn't put out an episode. Uh, we did. It's on Patreon. <laughs> Patreon.com yep. slash true crime guys. And at the $5 tier, you guys will also get an episode from us on Fridays. It's called Just the Banter. And it is where we just we just banter. That's It's right there in the name. That, yeah. That's a $5 tier. And you also get a gold Creeper Van sticker. Very prestigious. Very you prestigious. Also get that at, it is. It actually, yeah, you can rare. take that to the bank, and it is backed by gold, that sticker. But why would you do that? Mm. Because it's actually, it, it's gaining in value more than gold. So there's no more point in doing so. That's right. The, the value is just going up constantly. And it's yep. the only place you can get it on mm-hmm. Patreon. That's right. And also, we have a $10 tier. Guys, if you're on the $10 tier and you like to have a Zoom call with us, hit us up. Uh, we prefer to do these on Friday afternoons, but we can work around we can work around some schedules. So hit us up, guys, if you're on the $10 tier, creep of the crop. But That's you also right. get the sticker and of just the banter on $10 tier and all that good stuff. But if yep, you're already... Last week, last week on our Patreon exclusive episode, we did Earl Nelson, the gorilla killer. We did, the gorilla killer. Two-hour episode uh, on a crazy serial killer you've probably never heard of, but... From the early uh, 1900s. Pretty fascinating. Pretty fascinating. Yeah, one of the earliest in America. Absolutely. And if you've already heard of them and you're already caught up on Patreon, check out our other show, Strange and Unexplained, wherever the you The one and only, podcast. the only Strange and Unexplained podcast the in one. the world. Right. I'm sure, I don't think there's any other ones because, I mean, why would someone create one after it? They should just Google the name and then see that there is one. So they're probably not. So the Strange and Unexplained, guys, if you search that, it's probably the only one. Um, that's it. True Crime Guys. Got Blossom Raptor in the logo. Yeah. Just so actually, you know it's the right one. Oh, we just updated the logos. Yes. yes. We just updated the logos. So, guys, go check out our new logo facelifts. Uh, we got the uh, the classic TCG TV logo for our now True Crime Guys podcast official logo. And then uh, check out the new Strange and Unexplained. I think you'll be able to find it. They're, they look they look similar, right? They look like they're they're related. Shout out to our sponsor, Canva. This is an unofficial advertisement for them. It is. Michael loves their their app so much and creating things on there that he's just been making new logos and all kinds of stuff. So if you haven't checked out Canva, check it out. This is a free app for them. And listen, guys, go check out our Instagram if you haven't seen it yet for some reason. Maybe, I know it takes iTunes a day or two to populate the new logos and whatnot. So go check out our Instagram. Um, I should have them posted on there. Let me know what you think. Uh, To me, they're obviously a better quality because I, I just have more tools with Canva. It really is. I highly recommend it. Even the free Canva uh, is phenomenal. It's better than whatever you're using right now, and it's more user-friendly. So, yeah. but Okay, anything else? Merch, truecrimeguys.threadless.com. All, Check the, all links the links are below. below. The, yep, all the links are below. Um, yep. That's about it. We'll see you guys for a free episode next week. Keep creeping. Have a good week. Keep creeping, Keep creeping guys. In the desert, we like a mirage It's okay if you clicked on us Cause you thought we was True Crime Garage Now we ain't mad at you Sit down, let us talk at you I'm talking to the Creeper Army We out here making murder True Crime Guys In the desert, we like a mirage It's okay if you clicked on us Cause you thought we was True Crime Garage Now we ain't mad at you Sit down, let us talk at you I'm talking to the Creeper Army We out here making murder charming Thank you.